0: Welcome to Stage Right, Season 2, Episode 64, if you're counting. I am John Thorne, your host. Summer is finally here in Michigan. Vacation is over, and I'm excited to be back. To kick off Season 2, I wanted it to be really special, and to be honest with you, I can't imagine having anything more special than my guest today, Mr. Warren Ham. Now, Warren joins us. From the Toto Journey Tour, he's a member of Toto. He's also a touring member of Ringo Starr's All Star Band. I won't get into the specifics of his career. You're just not going to believe it when his story, as he starts to share, he has one of the most fascinating musical journeys I've ever heard of in my life. And every time his name gets brought up, not only is he known as one of the most talented people in music, he is known as one of the nicest people in music. So I'm very excited. Warren's going to join us here in a little bit. Before Warren joins me uh, here in just a minute, a couple things uh, are going to be different this year. I'll get more into details next time uh, regarding our store, our merch store and stuff. But for today, I want to mention that I am going to start a Pick of the Week. So every episode this season, I'm going to do a Pick of the Week, which will be an album of new music that an artist has released. I love listening to albums in my car start to finish while I drive around. So my pick of the week for this first episode of season two is the new John Elefante album. Now, ironically, this was not planned. Warren Ham toured with John Elefante in Kansas. Warren also toured in AD with a good buddy of mine, Dennis Holt. Dennis is going to be here in just a minute to introduce Warren for the show today and my pick of the week is John Elefante so I just thought that was kind of funny how that all worked out a few months ago a buddy of mine Anthony Salee who many of you are Anthony Salee fans from Whiteheart, Anthony he always sends me some stuff if he's recording tracks or whatever he'll send me roughs he'll send me you know just, you know, basically bass drums, a little vocal or whatever, so I can hear what he's doing, hear what, they're, what he's working on. And When I have stuff, I send it to him or run it by him, you know, get his opinion and stuff. Just We just bounce stuff back and forth. Well, he sent me these amazing tracks for John Elefante's upcoming project. Well, that can mean one of two things. It can mean I'm doing an album over the next two years or I'm doing an album over the next two months and... This one just happened to be the latter. They put this album together in just a few months, and I'm telling you, it is so good. If you love Kansas, if you love John Elefante and that majestic voice, uh, or if you just love good music, you got to check out The Amazing Grace. The Amazing Grace by John Elefante. It's a great new album. So go give it a listen. Support John by going to his website, buy a hard copy of it, buy five hard copies and give them to people you know that are dying for some new good Christian music. It's really, really good, so good. And um, I was texting Anthony earlier this morning just to find out who else played on it because I don't have any credits or anything um, with the tracks that he sent. And uh, it was my buddy Dave Cleveland who also played on the uh, song for Jody McBrayer that we uh, produced for him last year called um, So Far So Good. Dave played on that. He also played on the Elefante thing. Uh, Chris McHugh played on one song. Dan Needham, John Schlitt's son-in-law, played drums on the rest of the project. Anthony played the bass. And then um, I'm sure Elefante played the keyboards and stuff. But just a really good album. You've got to check it out. So I mentioned my good friend Dennis Holt earlier. Dennis is the former drummer for AD. Dennis joins us. Well, actually, Dennis, you're probably still the current drummer for AD because if you guys started touring again, you would be there.
1: I guess so. Yeah, or there'd be a problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, listen, I thought for all the AD fans out there who go way back you know, to the early 80s with you guys, I thought it would be fun to have you... Maybe say a word about Warren, tell a story or two, and introduce him for this episode since he's my guest today.
1: Well, I will. And I got to tell you, I love Warren, love his family, love Ava. Just good people. What an amazing, talented guy. And Warren, um, when you listen to this, I want you to know that I love you, miss you, miss being on stage with you. And it was so great having breakfast with you and Ava after the Ringo show here in Nashville a couple of years back. Well, right before COVID. So that would have been a little over two years ago. Yeah. So Warren, I next time I'm in LA, let's do dinner. My treat. Although you're with Ringo and Toto, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe your treat. <laughs> so, here's, so the interesting thing of how I met Warren, I won't go through the stuff of how I met carrie and all that i think i mentioned it to you when we had our little yeah interview a while back yeah it was episode 13 of season one it's like somebody goes this dennis holt this is carrie living with kansas and i go, yeah sure it is." <laughs> right <laughs> so we went down that path anyway fast forward i go down and track a couple of songs with carrie he has dave come over and you know we chat i kind of felt like it i mean things went well i figured like it was a I was in right and they wanted to talk to the other guys he wanted to talk to warren and mike gleason and then they called me the next day and said hey it's spots yours if you want it so the interesting thing is i remember well doing the uh first song i remember asking carrie who was the singer because i thought wow this guy sounds great and he yeah. goes that's so warren ham well i didn't know who warren was but i just remember being knocked out with these vocals and i just thought man i mean what a great singer. Musically, this stuff was fun. And I got to know, I'm thinking like, Warren, who are you? Where do you come from? So I knew he was Texas boy. And man, you know, I just, and even looking him up, Warren was in Blood Rock. Right. And I remember asking him, I said, wasn't that the band that did DOA? And he goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's doing other things around Texas. And then he ended up with Bread, Doing background vocals and stuff, you know. Warren has been the amazing front guy and auxiliary guy in so many bands, and I just started, you know, just digging stuff out of him. Going, okay, cool. Uh, Bread, that was a great band. Yep. And then share. Yep. And uh, I think Donna Summer might have been later. Yeah. It could have been before. You know. Then the Toto thing, and then, gosh, Ringo. So it's been a, an amazing deal for him as, as the consummate auxiliary guy. I mean, I remember with when we started rehearsing, you know, Warren's singing lead, then he's singing background vocals, playing keyboards, then he's playing flute (laughs) and playing sax and then mouth harp (laughs) and he can play percussion. And I just thought, okay, this guy's amazing. So we're all getting to know each other. And I just fell in love with him. Uh, it was it was great. He was fun to be with. Uh, he was good on the road, just always on his game and so flipping talented. Yeah. And I'm just tickled for him. And I told him at breakfast after the Ringo show, I said, Man, I'm so happy and happy for you and proud of you of just what you've what you've you've accomplished.
0: Well said, my friend. All right, Dennis, thank you so much for talking about Warren and setting all of this up. So you have a fantastic day, dude. I will talk to you soon.
1: All right, John. Love you, my friend.
0: I love you too, Bill. (laughs) You take care. Bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the incomparable Warren Ham. Warren, how are you doing today, bud?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so let's get to it right away. So you grew up singing with your brothers and your dad in church. Correct. OK, so when you're that age, did you dream? Did you imagine of having a career in music or did you guys just sing? And it was kind of because that's what the family did. You all did it together.
2: Uh, well, kind of, kind of. I was kind of like very interested in maybe acting when I was little, you know, but there wasn't much opportunity for that in Texas, which is where I grew up. And my mom was a piano player and singer and my dad was a bass singer. And so we grew up singing gospel music and the family, Right. and uh, we sang at churches, and we traveled around to different various, what they call singing, singings, mm-hmm. uh, down in the South, and um, so that's how I got my first initial musical experience.
0: Right. Okay, so you sang, but one of the things you're known for now, not to get too far ahead of myself, but you can play like 10 or 12 different instruments as well as sing. <laughs>
2: well, not quite that many, but... Yeah, I do. Uh, I do. Uh, I started playing. Uh, I kind of got away from music for a little while because I was interested in trying to do sport. You know, when you're a kid, you want to, you don't know what you want to do. So right. I wanted to be a baseball player for a while and football, but I was too, too small to be a football player and not too short to be a basketball player <laughs> and so on and so forth. So I figured once I got into, uh, you know, uh, middle school, uh all the guys in the wood shop and stuff started noticing that I could sing and everybody wanted to start a band because it was the 60s right you know and uh, everybody was into the beatles and i had done more country music with my uh with my brother on guitar and myself on mandolin this followed my our uh gospel uh situation and uh so we kind of we just kind of morphed into country music for a while and then when I got into middle school, like I said, everybody in in the uh, all my classes, all the guys wanted to have a a garage band, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so they knew I could sing, so I kind of got recruited to be the singer in uh, several of these local garage bands. <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in Fort Worth, Texas. And so that's uh, that was how I initially gained a lot of that experience. And then I picked up the harmonica. Uh, started with harmonica as my first instrument around the age of 15. Uh, and then I became interested in the flute around 17. And uh, it just kind of kind of morphed into uh, saxophone because flute and saxophone are in the same Sure, family. You know, they're in the woodwind family. So I took up the saxophone at 20. So I was kind of graduating through several wind instruments throughout my teens and then ultimately started playing sax when I was 20.
0: Okay. So did you have any piano background as a kid? No, not
2: really. I didn't study piano until we always had a piano. So I messed around at home and stuff, yeah. but I didn't really study until I got into college into junior college. And, um, uh, it was, uh, uh, part of the curriculum at the, if you were going to be a music major, have an initial instrument which was flute for me right and then my set they needed a second instrument and they encouraged piano because that's how you learn theory yeah and so forth Uh, along with taking theory classes uh i studied piano and i had found that i had some facility from it which i probably gained from my mom and uh so it kind of went hand in hand so to speak
0: right The first time I became aware of you was in 1982 when the Kansas Live in Omaha concert video came out. Correct. I remember watching you and being blown away. I mean, you played woodwinds, you played keyboards, you sang great. And I kept thinking, Mm -hmm. he's a multi-instrumentalist that's a world-class musician on every instrument. And I was thinking, did this guy just grow up in a practice room? How did he become so great so young?
2: through the 70s, uh, I, I was working. I, I, in the early 70s, uh, I was with uh, kind of got into a local local band that had made big, and they had a deal with Capitol Records, and they were called Blood Rock, and they had a big hit uh, called D.O.A. Yes. And then I joined that group after the singer left, and the band sort of changed direction. We went into more of a prog rock. They were more of a like a black Sabbath type of band before I got in. then when I got in, it kind of changed directions and went to more like prog, soft rock, prog rock kind of direction with the flute and everything and sax. And so I spent the early part of my seventies doing that. And so that, that kind of, but I was the the primary singer in that band too. So it gave me that experience as well. And so just being on the road and playing a lot was, was how I learned. Right. And then I went back to college uh, after that in the mid seventies to try to finish up my degree, but I was paying for all my own schooling and college and got to the point where I was just like running out of funds to pay my, pay my way through college. And then I realized I didn't really need to have a degree to do what I wanted to do in music. Anyway, I did, I did take, courses in theory and orchestration and things of that nature. So I knew more about, uh, you know, the, uh, the workings and the mechanics of music, so to speak. Sure. And I educated myself, you know, I learned how to read, uh, was in the uh, jazz band and I couldn't read when I first got into the jazz band, but they recognized that I could improvise better than a lot of the guys that could read. (laughs) So they, they stuck me in the band and said, here, just sit here and watch and learn how, and learn and and when it's time for a solo we'll give you a solo <laughs>
0: <Kind of thing. laughs> that's awesome
2: so, so I learned uh about jazz <coughs> excuse me doing that yeah I was still uh playing a lot of flute and that was my major a lot of classical flute and they were re- they were really grooming me for the orchestra but I learned more about jazz by being in the in the uh, studio band
0: Right. And back then it was popular flute was Jethro tall was all over the place.
2: Correct. He was one of my, my, uh, big influences, which by the way, I got to meet, uh, Ian Anderson a couple of years ago when, uh, when, just, uh, prior to the pandemic, when we were doing a summer tour in, in Europe with Toto and, uh, we were on the same same bill. In fact, Jethro Tull opened for Toto at an outdoor festival, and I got to meet Ian Anderson, which was a big thrill in my life. I got to tell him how much he influenced me.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: So it was really, really fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. Hey, let me ask you this before I forget. Uh-huh. Growing up in church and singing in church and then ending up in a band like Kansas and doing the secular stuff, at any point did you catch any flack or did anyone give you a hard time because they thought you were – leaving, you know, the music ministry or anything?
2: Not really. Uh, I'm sure people may have thought that, you know, uh, I've never really received any, any criticism, so to speak for it. Um, uh, you know, I, I just think as long as you let everybody know where you stand, you know, which I have Yeah. and kind of, uh, like we have a prayer circle every night with Toto, you know? Right. And, uh, I don't lead it every time there's another guy that prays, but I'm, I'm the one that invokes the name of of Jesus, you know, at the end of the prayer, you know, for when I, when I'm asked to pray. Right. And so I, you know, told the guys where I'm at and witnessed. Sure. To them. Yep. And so I kind of feel like, uh, but I don't, I don't force my views on them. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, I, I told them I'm not, I'm, not gonna like Indian wrestle you to the ground and <laughs> make you believe in Jesus. You know, but I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. Right. And and it really, I, I, I generally waited until somebody had a question about it. You know. Yeah. And uh, and then I figured that well that's an opportunity. But as far as criticism from the church, I, not really. Uh, you know, because I've always been open and said. Uh, open and said, "You know what? I make a living as a musician, just like a policeman makes a uh, a living being a policeman, or a yeah. journeyman, con- you know, guy who builds houses, or right, or a bus driver, or a plumber, or any other trade. It's a trade, right? Yeah. So that's how I make my living, and it just happens to be that that uh, I happen to be a musician who also happens to be a Christian. You know?
0: Right. Well, one of the things." I've traveled in circles that kind of have run parallel with yours, so some of it's overlapped with some of our friends and stuff. Every time your name has ever been brought up, two things are always said. Number one, not only are you a great singer, but you're a great musician no matter what you're playing. And number two, that you are literally one of the nicest people in the music industry, period.
2: Well, I have to say that, you know, I give the credit to God for that because, you know, we're all... As, as you know, as a Christian, we're, we're all we all fall short yeah, of, of the glory of God. But so I give him the credit for any goodness that is seen in me, Amen. you know, and I just try to live according to what I believe he would he would like me to do. I don't I don't always succeed. You know, I fail just like all Christians do from time to time. But but it's my faith and belief that keep that sustain me through throughout my career, you know, in my life, you
0: know. Right. Okay. So let's start moving through your journey with all these legendary artists, because I've got so much I want to get to before I have to let you go today. Okay. So tell everyone the story of how you ended up singing with Cher in Black Rose.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's an easy one. Uh, So I'll just kind of pick up where I left off, which I I went in the mid seventies. I went back to college and then and then I had a, a, uh, a band with my brother that we played around locally in the North Texas area. And uh, so one night we were playing at a club called The Hop in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, Dean Parks, who is a, a famous session g- guy in, uh, yes. in uh, f- who grew up in Fort Worth and knew me and my brother, uh, was in town with David Gates and Brad and had been on tour with them, and they came to see us. And so in the next tour that David Gates did, my brother and I were hired to be on that tour.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: And we ended up only doing one tour with David, but we played at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium, and Cher was there. She <laughs> was in the audience. And so, but she had also worked with Dean and David Hungate from Toto. K- hmm and because those guys went to North Texas State University, right? you know, and then they went out to California and both her and David and my brother, who plays guitar, played in the Sonny and Cher band for the, TV, for the TV show.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: So she knew my brother and then she heard us when we were with Dave, David Gates and Brad and she came backstage after the concert and approached my brother and myself, and said she was putting together mm-hmm. uh, a Vegas review.
0: <laughs> wow! You know,
2: for Las Vegas, and this was after her split with Sunny. Wow! So she was on her own, and it was her first big, kind of live touring thing on her own, uh, apart from Sunny and Cher. It was just Cher, right? Now, so we got the privilege of being in her band, her her Vegas band
0: wow that's crazy
2: so I ended up doing a solo with her on that I was with her maybe about three years in Las
0: Vegas wow three years were share and uh
2: so I I got kind of burned out on Las Vegas to be honest
0: with you yeah
2: I got the opportunity to to join Kansas in 80 like late 81 I guess it was or 82 no 1982 was when it was and because that was the year of that uh concert in Omaha yeah. And, uh, so that's, I auditioned for them, uh, still had to share a gig, but I was trying to get out of the Las Vegas vibe, you know, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't really good for me to be in
0: Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> well, there aren't many people that do well in Las Vegas for very long. <laughs>
2: it's not a, it's not a real, uh, wholesome atmosphere. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh. I was looking for an opportunity to, to do something else, you know? And, and so I auditioned, uh, after Steve Walsh left Kansas, I didn't get the gig. Ultimately it went to John Elefante and, but then they called me and said, we'd like to have you in the band anyway. So that's how I ended up in, that's how I ended up playing with Kansas and ended up on that, uh, the concert footage that you
0: mentioned. Right. Well, I, I go back to that. I watched it again this morning while I was getting ready for this call with you. And there are times that the background vocals are so in sync with the lead vocals. It's almost like you and Elefante were doing co-lead vocals in some of it. You sounded so good on that concert DVD.
2: The whole experience with Kansas was great. I, you know, we, they lived in uh, Atlanta at the time and we rehearsed down there and I had my wife come down with me and she was pregnant with our first child at the time and uh i just remember just sitting in the hotel room learning the parts you know yeah and uh we then we'd go out and eat and have we had a great time in atlanta and atlanta's a beautiful city and uh we just i had a great time learning the material and and performing with those guys And, and then the music was really challenging and i really enjoyed that time that i had with them
0: well, it showcased all your skills every night. I mean, from you know, the woodwinds all the way through to your BGVs.
2: Yeah, it was a good it was a good opportunity to, to showcase my instrumentation as well as my singing and uh, I really I really enjoyed it. Now the next year they went on a hiatus so that they could do another record and I needed to continue working. So that's when I started working with Donna Summer. Oh wow. Yeah, I went down and auditioned with her group and I knew that that she was a Christian, This she had, she'd become a Christian.
0: Yeah.
2: And this was, uh, this was around the time that she did, uh, she worked hard for the money, mm-hmm. that, that record that she did. Mm-hmm. And so I, I teamed up with her shortly after. I only got, I guess I only did, the the one tour with, uh, with Kansas.
0: Right. Well, singing with John Elefante and Cher, and then all of a sudden you're singing with Donna Summers. I mean, these were all great singers. I don't think people realize what a great vocalist Donna Summers really was. She
2: had an amazing voice. She really had the pipes. She yes. could deliver.
0: <laughs> yep. She could. All right. So I have a lot of CCM listeners on my show. Tell everyone how the conversation came about where you joined Carrie Livgren and AD.
2: Well, Carrie Lidman and Dave Hope wanted to do, do more uh, Christian prog rock. Okay. There was some resistance to some of the, I guess, some of their lyrical content or something. Kansas didn't really want to go that Christian, you know, because they were they were already established as a secular,
0: sure. Sure.
2: you know, success, so to speak. And um, so there was some resistance to that. And, of course, Carrie and Dave, being new Christians, were really gung ho to do more uh, of a message, you know, yeah. of a gospel message in their music, and so that's kind of initiated the whole push to do another uh, project, which is what it started out to be was a project, you know, yeah, uh, a side project. Terry Livgren and AD is what 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 the what the first record was called Timeline. Right, we did. And uh, they asked me to be in it and to be one of the singers. And they asked uh, 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 Mike Gleason. And of course, Dennis was in it. And so that was the five of us. Yeah. Myself, uh, Mike Gleason, and Dennis Holt. And of course, Carrie and Dave.
0: Yeah.
2: And so we did, we ended up doing two records and we did some touring. And this was all during the time it was kind of interspersed with the time that I was working with with Donna, too, you know? Right. And so uh, we did a lot of... We did... I don't know. It just was the mid-'80s by this time. Yeah. And, uh, so I was doing some touring, but I also had little kids. I had... Well, I had a son that was three years old. And um, then I had another... Uh, My wife had another daughter when we were in 1987, but by this time I was, uh, I did the two records with uh, AD and we did some touring and it wasn't really working out for me financially.
0: Yeah, Christian music's an odd place to try to be creative and unique. (laughs) Yeah, because
2: you want to be creative and you want to have that message, but we were playing small clubs, you know? Yeah. And it it was... uh, you know it was hard to make it was just hard to make a living doing it, you know so
0: well, those were the early stages of Christian music too where there weren't huge lots of huge events, huge festivals, huge whatever because it hadn't grown yet right. It certainly wasn't what it's grown into in the last 25 years.
2: It's true. so we were in a very uh, infant stages of, of the of the you know the popular gospel music at that time.
0: Sure. Okay, so after A.D., you ended up years ago, not now. I mean, you're in Toto now, but before you also were on tour with Toto. Tell everyone that story, how you ended up in Toto the first time.
2: Well, the Toto thing came about quite the same way that the Kansas thing came about. They they were looking for a singer, and I auditioned. They called me, and I went in and auditioned uh, as a singer. And ultimately, it went to Joe Williams, Joseph Williams. Yeah. Uh, and they call me and say, it was the same, it was history repeating itself. It was the Same scenario again. They said, we'd love to have you in the band, you know? So, uh, I, that, that's how I got in with them too. And I did virtually the same type of thing that I did with, uh, with Kansas, you know, backing vocals, high vocals, yeah. uh, saxophone and flute, some harmonica. And, uh, so it was just, it was great, you know, to, to tour with them. And I did, I did a couple of, couple of three tours with them you know right and and I was still again work I was still working with Donna some uh off and on you know yeah and so whenever they would take a year off to do another record I would go back out with Donna and and then uh I worked I worked with Toto I guess 87 and 88 86 87 88 that kind of thing maybe well, it was more like 1987 1988 okay and then I worked with uh, Amy Grant in 89, I remember, so.
0: Sure. Okay, I have to mention this point before I move on because I don't want to let it get past us. hmm You were part of two of the most proficient rock bands known musically for their musicianship, Toto and Kansas. Both bands, you auditioned, you wanted to be the lead singer. You didn't get either band but both bands thought enough of you as a person and as a musician that they both created positions for you within the band. That is unbelievable.
2: No, I was flattered and, and honored and, and that's why I did it. You know, uh, it, it's like, you know, this, the music business is very competitive Yeah, music and, and uh, y- you have to be reconciled with that. You know, you can't just say, ah, oh, I didn't get what I want. <laughs> so I'm going to quit. You know, right. you can't do it. You got to hang in there and, 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 and I love, I love playing instruments. I love, I love playing music, you know, and, and to get paid for it and to travel and see the world is one of the greatest privileges I think I've ever had, you know? Yes. And so, uh, that's why I'm still doing it to this day.
0: (laughs) Right on. Okay. So before I get past the first time in Toto into the Amy Grant years and all the other stuff that follows after that, Warren. Uh huh. I have a lot of drummers and musicians that listen to my podcast. Take a minute and talk about your first time in Toto because Jeff Picaro was the drummer. Please explain to everyone what it was like to be eight feet from one of the best drummers ever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Jeff was just well, first of all, he was one of the during his lifetime, he was one of the one of the most sought after session drummers in Los Angeles. Right. You know. And so he worked with everybody, and uh, his feel—it was just his. Jeff wasn't like uh, a solo type of drummer. He wasn't like, uh, oh, I don't know, a a Ginger Baker or a Neil Peart or, or one of those guys. He was just his feel was just almost indescribable how solid he was and how. how good his time was and everything and that's why he was used by everybody right because he, he could make it feel so good and sound so good and it was the same way live he was just like uh he was just like being on a magic carpet you know what i mean
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> as a bass player i do know what you mean
2: <laughs> he laid down such a solid foundation that it was it was part and parcel of the music you know he couldn't the music wouldn't have been the same without that Feel like the, like, Africa, right. or or the the you know, uh, Rosanna. You know yeah. those are signature um, drum parts that he created, particularly in Rosanna. And the and it's it's tried people emulate it to this day. Yes, you know, and very few get it right. Very you know? few. <laughs> and uh, he's just he just had that amazing ability you know and perfect time right it it, it was really uncanny how great he was
0: you know yeah well I could see myself up there I would get distracted listening to him
2: yeah well I was busy focusing on what I needed to do to try to keep, you know try to keep up with these guys because it was then and it is today it's true it was true then and it's true today that when you play with Toto you got to bring your a game
0: for sure. You know? Yep.
2: Yeah. You know? And the same, the same was true with Kansas and, and all the people I worked with, I don't mean to, to to say otherwise, but, but sure. Particularly with Toto, it's, it's really gotta, you gotta be on your toes, you know, every night. So anyway, that's what I try to do.
0: Right. Okay, so back to the Amy Grant tour you did. It was the Lead Me On Tour, which was probably her biggest. Yeah. Maybe Heart and Motion was close, but...
2: Uh, that was a big tour uh, with Amy. It was one of her, I guess, her biggest tour to date. And, uh, you know, they had... Uh, I had a friend who already was on the tour. So I thought, man, I'd, I'd really like to to be on that tour. So I just sent them an audition tape. Oh wow. You know. And they said, "Oh, okay, we're going to fly you out and we'll we'll discuss it." So I, they flew me out to Nashville and we and we uh we came to terms and I found myself on that tour, you know. And it was the first big arena tour I had done. Now I had done arenas tours in in uh with Kansas and I had done <clears throat> arena stuff in uh Europe with Toto.
0: Yeah
2: but never as big as this in America. So it was a, every every arena was like sold out. She was huge at the time. Right. And uh, so it was a really big deal, you know, a really, uh, probably the biggest tour in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of trucks and buses and, and personnel that they took out on the road, you know. So it was great. I, I really
0: enjoyed that tour. Yeah. Okay, so I just have to say, After the Amy Grant thing, you ended up getting to sing with My Childhood Crush. Uh, Tell everybody about your time with Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. You not only sang background with her, but you sang all those Grease classics with her. How crazy.
2: Oh, that was really cool. See, well, now there was a period after the Amy Grant and the Donna Summer thing that I began to, like, get a little weary of being on the road. So I took some time off in the early 90s and try to do some other things, be at home with my family, my kids, that kind of stuff. I did, I did different jobs. I did, uh, like I worked, I actually drove a taxi for a while. And then I drove, uh, did, I did some courier stuff for Disney and just trying to stay at home, you know? And then in the, toward the middle of the, uh, uh the toward the middle of the nineties, I, uh, I joined up with uh, Frankie Valley in the four seasons. Oh wow! Cause I knew, uh, I knew the uh, musical uh, director for Frankie. And so I ended up being in the Four Seasons for about three years, oh my which, w- which was cool. That was another <laughs> cool experience, a lot of good vocals and, and a good experience to be involved with that. And a, a, a little bit of a different vibe, you know, sure. with suits, we wore suits and we sang, we, we sang a different ty- style of music, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, so I was doing that when I got a call from Olivia's manager and said, I would love, I'd love to have you on. And he, he was also had been Toto's manager back in the eighties. So that's how the connection there was. He knew who I was. And, uh, they, they needed somebody to do the John Travolta part bit with, uh, with Olivia. And I said, well, I can right now because I'm, I'm with Frankie, you know? And I said, but man, I, I, I that's, you know, thanks for the call, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but then Frankie went through some changes and, and wanted to he, – he was going through some uh, – I think he was going through a divorce at the time. And so he took some time off, and during that time off, he, he wanted to change the band around and everything. So I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to look for something else. So I called, uh, called Mark Hartley, who had previously managed Toto and was currently uh, – olivia's manager at the time and he he was the one that had called me and i said man um, if that up if that situation open opens up again please let me know and they had a guy at at the time but i don't think he was really uh, what they were looking for and uh so he did call me about six months later and said you know you know if you want to do the gig it's yours so yeah, I, that's how I ended up in that situation. I ended up working with her for 15 years, and it was some of the best, uh, best years of my life, you know, being able to work and sing with her. She's a great lady.
0: Yeah. Really nice. That's amazing. Okay, so I got to get to this. So I assume the connection would be Steve Lukather uh, from Toto ending up in Ringo Starr's All-Star Band. But tell me how you got from Olivia Newton-John Uh, after all those years and then ending up in Ringo's band yeah
2: well so okay and uh, you know at the end of the time that I was playing with Olivia we were (coughs) we were back in Las Vegas (laughs) back to Vegas (laughs) and we were playing uh we were playing across the street from where I had played with Cher Uh, where I'd always played with Cher was at Caesars Palace oh my gosh Uh, and so we were at the across the street at the Flamingo, <laughs> which which was the first hotel that was ever built in Las Vegas. If you know the history, right? Uh, and so we were uh, alternating weeks, I think, with uh, Donnie and Marie, kind of thing. You yeah. know, one week that one one week that have Donnie and Marie, and then the next week that have somebody else, and then have Olivia. And so uh, I did that for about. I don't know, three or four years. And this was toward the end of my run with with Olivia. And it was kind of starting to wind down a little bit with her. She had uh, uh, some health problems. Yeah. And she was having to take more and more time off. And so there was going to be a good bit of time off. And I just got a call out of the blue from from Steve Lukather. <laughs> One day I was at home, I was cooking on the grill. It was after church and we were cooking, I was cooking some chicken and steaks on the grill and we were watching football with the kids. And I think I had some friends over and, and, uh, family and so on. And I got a guy from, uh, actually I got a message from Luke on Facebook said, call me right away. It's urgent. So mm. I went, well, I wonder what this could be about. <laughs> so I called him up. He proceeded to tell me that, that, uh, Ringo you know the 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 guy that had previously worked with Ringo was going with Billy Joel and so that chair was open.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: And so would I be interested and of course
0: <laughs> that's the million dollar question.
2: And uh, uh I just about burned everything on the grill, you know. <laughs> Cuz I got so distracted. You know, he would tell me the details about what was going to happen and everything and so the next thing I know, I found myself working with Ringo Starr and, and the All-Stars, and it was like, wow, this is Richard Page, Todd Rundgren, Greg Raleigh, yeah. of course, Steve Lukather. Man, I was like, wow, this is incredible. So right. that's how it happened.
0: Okay, let me ask you a personal question. Okay. When you get a phone call like that, for those that are listening that probably will never get a phone call from Ringo Starr, or Steve Lukather, for that matter, or Olivia Newton-John, what's it like for you after 40 years of getting that phone call over and over and over?
2: No, Well, I'm excited. It's it's like winning, uh, you know, it's like winning, uh, uh, I don't know, it's like the jackpot kind of thing, you know? I mean, you're excited. I was excited about it. Uh, But, you know, for me, it's like I've always known where my blessings come from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yes, shocked, surprised, excited, but not completely. Right. You know, because I know, I know that most of my blessings come from the Lord. All of my blessings. What am I talking about? Most all of my blessings come from the Lord. Absolutely. So I'm not, I'm not that surprised, you know, and I just, but I just know that I have to like get my head into the space where I've got to do what I've got to do, Yeah. you know, uh, to make my game as uh, on the, uh, on that level. You know what I'm saying?
0: All right. So speaking of that level, to be on that level, how much time would you say you rehearse or spend time rehearsing now versus on stage? Well, I don't,
2: maybe not as much as I used to, but I try to spend an hour or two every day working on something, you know, either, either vocal stuff or, or transpose something or transcribe something off of a solo or read a solo or do something do something where I continue to grow musically you know right i just want to keep up my chops so to speak
0: right okay so in ringo's band it's all peace and love and fun it looks like from the outside but when you're on the stage and you're looking at a beatle and you're looking at steve from toto and you're looking at greg from journey and colin from men at work and you're playing all these classic songs is the, is it funner, or is there pressure, or how do you process that night of music where everyone in the room knows every word to every song? Just being
2: prepared, yeah. You know what I'm saying. I focus on the music. You know what I mean. I'm saying, and I and when like when I get nervous or something, I really try to focus on the music. And actually, playing keyboard is one of the best things for me to to to, to bring me to bring me back into focus. You know what I'm saying? When I start to feel overwhelmed or something, yeah, uh, playing keyboard for some reason tends to bring me back into, lock me back into focus. And it's like, Oh, it's these chords. It's this, you know, this set of notes works with these chords, blah, blah, blah. You know? And uh, I just, uh, again, I have to kind of compartmentalize yeah. and, and bring it back to, you know, the actual physical Sure. What what you have to do physically to make it work. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's, whether it's, uh, what do they call it, uh, muscle memory or whatever, you know, you got to do to bring it back. It's just about, it's just about executing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I, I think it's much the same as being an athlete. If you're playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get back to fundamentals. You can't like get so, you can't let, you can't let the situation overwhelm you or be too big for you. Yeah. Otherwise you, uh, you lose your focus and you lose your success, you know? Yeah. So you always have to be able to bring it back to what, what am I doing? How did I get here? Don't forget what got you there. And that's the fun stick with the fundamentals.
0: Right. Okay. So you're on the Toto journey, freedom tour 2022. You're out there, huge crowds, uh, everybody hears the finished product, but walk us through what rehearsals were like when the Toto thing started this last okay. time.
2: Right. Okay. The first thing is to be prepared. Okay. Go you, uh, for me <clears throat> is to go in as prepared as, as I can. Yeah. Particularly on the Ringo thing, i really prepared. Um, and that reminds me, I've got some preparation to do coming up for this. <laughs> one that's coming up in June. Um, but yeah, just, you know, really focus and try to be prepared and, and, uh, mentally alert as possible going in, you know what I'm saying? So eliminate mistakes as much as possible and just focus on what you got to do to, to, to execute, you know, and then the fun and the, the fun and the feel and all that follows. It just, it just happens naturally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I concentrate as much as I can on getting the notes right, playing the proper, chords uh singing the proper part singing on pitch doing just doing the fundamental stuff yeah you know so and then when I get in the situation and this is something I learned from one of my uh, band instructors in college is don't be thinking about the next tune Hmm. stay in the stay in the moment stay in the song you're in you know what I'm saying yeah like and I learned that from reading charts. how when I was first learned how to read charts and 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 you know, stuff in studio band and jazz band. It's like, stay, you know, maybe, maybe look a measure ahead. uh, But don't, don't get too far ahead. Just stay focused into what you're doing at the moment. Right. And that, that's really kind of like a secret for me to, to not get get nervous or too bad, uh, you know, with that, all that stuff, you know, just kind of staying focused in the moment.
0: Yeah. It, to me, it, everything you say, it goes back to being a professional. In those rehearsals, do you guys have separate vocal rehearsals? How much time do you spend on vocals? Hmm.
2: Well, we used to do separate vocal rehearsals, but now most of the guys, we just come in prepared to...
0: You're just dialed in.
2: Dialed in and sing, with, sing as we're playing, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, particular right now, I'm playing percussion, and... I'm playing conga, tambourine, and shaker, and singing, and playing playing uh, saxophone, flute, but not all at once. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but I am singing while I'm playing percussion a lot. So, there, I'm having to do that kind of like uh, comp- again the comp- compartmentalizing uh, kind of thing. You know? Right. Uh, but yeah, we do. I'm going to get together with the the other keyboard player today and do some vocal warm ups later.
0: Right. Okay. So I know you do some stuff with your wife, who's a music teacher. She teaches kids. Talk about some of the stuff that you've done, uh, you and her together.
2: Yeah. She's uh she's a singer, but she, she teaches uh, grade school kids. Oh, cool. And so I generally go, go in and do uh, like if she's teaching them uh, recorders, right? Uh, that's sort of a precursor to wind instruments. I go in and I'll do a demonstration on, uh, saxophone, flute, and clarinet. Oh, I nice. don't really play clarinet. I play sax and soprano sax. A lot of people confuse that with a clarinet, but uh, uh, I go in and do a demonstration for the kids, so that if they have a desire to move on to something like that, then they've then they've seen it.
0: Right. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, what do you think about modern music, and I guess modern pop music, modern rock music? whatever the current music of the day is versus the, the classic stuff that we all grew up with and love. What is your opinion about modern music?
2: Uh, man, honestly, to be honest with you, I don't listen to a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some talented people out there. I think Gaga is talented. I think Bieber is talented. Uh, You know, I'm not, I, I, I don't know. I don't really follow it that closely. Um, uh, Oh, who's the guy that plays guitar and sings by himself?
0: Ed Sheeran. Uh,
2: yeah, Ed Sheeran. He's got he's talented for sure. Yeah, uh, but I don't I don't no I don't follow a lot of the new stuff.
0: Okay, I'm curious. On this Toto tour with this new lineup, I mean, you guys sound amazing. Do you have a favorite moment in the set, or do you have a favorite song that you guys play?
2: Not really. It's such a short set. It goes by so fast. We're the opener, so we've got an hour. Right. And we just go from song to song, and the whole set really is fun. Cool. It's not a dull moment, so I can't really point to any one particular thing that I like best. It's just, uh, for me, the whole hour goes by so fast that I have to like be in the moment so that I enjoy it while it's happening. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, But we've been getting good uh, reviews and Everybody seems to be happy, and uh, Toto is being exposed to more people in, in the U.S. than previously, believe it or not. Yeah. And because uh, they were always very big in Europe and Japan, but, but not as much in the States, and this is an opportunity to get that exposure. Yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, it's working out pretty good for us.
0: Yeah. My kids bought me your live stream with a little help from my friends that you guys did and I watch that thing over and over and over you guys this particular lineup the feel of this band is dialed in and remarkable
2: yeah we're pretty we're pretty happy with it we i know luke is really excited about it and joe's happy with it there you know it's it's got a lot of new energy uh, with it you know it's got a, a good mix of the old which is me <laughs> and these <laughs> these younger cats who bring a whole fresh Uh, vibe to the situation. So I think, uh, you know, it's kind of showing up in the music every night, you know, it's, there's a new freshness to the band and uh, we're, we're all excited about it.
0: Right. Well, you should be, man. You guys sound amazing. All right. I'm going to get you out of here on this, Warren. I got kids that listen, that love music. They want to be musicians. Give them Warren Ham's best musical advice for their future
2: man, just keep doing what you're doing and believe, you know, believe in yourself and, and uh, focus on the fundamentals. Like I talked about earlier and, um, you know, uh, reach out, have some kind of networking thing that you're doing with people. Stay connected that way with other musicians and be open, be open to change and be flexible. It may not always turn out how you think it's supposed to turn out, but that can open up other doors of opportunity for you. So my best advice is to just stay in the moment, stay focused on what you're doing, stick to those fundamentals, never forget where you, how you got there, right? And and uh, keep the faith, and and good things will happen for you.
0: That's such good advice, Warren. Thanks for taking time to do this today. At some point, you and myself and Dennis will have to sit down and have dinner. Dennis will let anyone buy him dinner anytime, so I will treat the both of you. We will pick up where we left off. That'd
2: be great. I'd love to see you.
0: My thanks to you for listening today. My special thanks to Warren Ham for being my guest. If you want to support the podcast, go to merch.stagewrightpodcast.com and place your order. Join me next time for Christian music pioneer Chuck Gerard from Love Song.